Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today on the show, we have Ralph Peterson. Ralph recently wrote a book called Adventures in Dietland, How to Win the Game of Dieting from a Former Fat Guy. This was a very interesting book, and I had a great conversation with Ralph, not only about this book, which I found to be uh, not only very interesting, but has just a ton of helpful and kind of real-world tips and how to uh, how to address food choices and how to set yourself up to make the right choices uh, in regards to our food and our weight and it's something that even the most fit people I think can uh, can take from. Uh, but in addition to that, Ralph is someone who uh, literally transformed himself in so many ways. Not only dropping 150 pounds and eating better, but he went from a pretty sedentary individual to somebody who is a dedicated marathoner. And I think uh, even if he didn't write a book about dieting, he would be someone who I'd want to talk to just from a running perspective. In fact, in this episode, we didn't get to talk as much about the running part as I initially had hoped to do because his book is just so fascinating that we just basically talked about that the whole time. Uh, but we did touch on the running a little bit, and I'd love to have him back on this show sometime in the future to kind of dive into the running a little bit more. Uh, but I think you'll like this episode with Ralph. He is a funny guy. He's got a lot of great stories, a lot of interesting insights. And uh, his book is now not only available on Amazon in the print form, but two weeks ago, it became available in the audio edition as well on Audible. And shoot, if you're listening to a podcast, you probably listen to audiobooks as well. So I'd recommend giving it a, giving it a look. I like Ralph. He's a great guy, and I'm excited to talk to him on this episode of the podcast, Adventures in Diet Land, How to Win the Game of Dieting from a Former Fat Guy with Ralph Peterson. Hello, Ralph, and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Very oh, excited. It's my pleasure. I'm excited to have you on. And in front of me, I have your uh, your new book, Adventures in Dietland, How to Win the Game of Dieting from a Former Fat Guy. And uh, first of all, thank you for sending me this book. I really enjoyed it. So I really appreciate you coming on. And it's funny how you say from a former fat guy. Uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday and not any Tuesday. We're recording this on fat Tuesday. That's right. <laughs> the iron. There you go. See, this all, this all came together perfectly. This wasn't exactly the reason why we're recording it on a Tuesday, as you know, but it, uh, it did work out pretty well. Yeah. It does. So as you say, you're, you're a former fat guy and this book is great. I can't wait to dive into it. Um, but for our listeners who may not know you, kind of what's your what's your backstory? And you dive into it in the book. But you know what, what's your background in terms of going from somebody who um, did not have the body they wanted, and then all of a sudden hit that point of realization and said, "Hey, enough is enough." Yeah. So I talk about the day I woke up fat, which was April twenty fifth, two thousand and thirteen. I was in the Bahamas, so I imagine, you know, you're in paradise, you know, it's a beautiful, wonderful resort, and I'm completely miserable. <laughs> I, I hate everything about myself. I hate the way I look, the way I feel. I had a drinking problem. I was 
I was in a bad marriage. I was, it was, it was just the worst of the worst for me. And on the 25th of April, I woke up basically making out with a, with a toilet, which is nice. It's a nice way to wake up. And uh, you know, it was that a lot of people ask me about hitting rock bottom, you know, when, cause I've woken up fat a million times and I talk about it in my book, how I've, I've been asked to leave an airplane because I was too heavy for the airplane. I've been, you know, I've broken office chairs while I was sitting in them for a meeting. I've, I needed a seatbelt extender to put a seatbelt on in an airplane. Like, I've woken up fat so many times, and so a lot of people ask, you know, like, what was the big thing about April 25th? And and truly, I narrowed it down to a few things. Like, I always thought that if my wife saw me, if my wife saw me, how miserable I was and how pathetic I was and how pathetic I behaved, that she would do something about it. And then it turned out that 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 just wasn't the case. She didn't have my back as much as I I thought she would have. And the truth is nobody could have my back anyway. I mean, that's the big lesson is you got to do it for yourself. So it, it was a combination of seeing how other people saw me. I was scared. I was extremely scared. I was physically scared because I, I really drank too much on the 24th of, of April, hence my waking up fat for the last time on the 25th, to, you know, not not, even though my wife saw me in that element, she didn't think it was as big of a deal as I did. You know, I say I didn't just hit rock bottom. I hit rock bottom and then I fell down a set of concrete steps into a pool and the security guard had to come in and rescue me. I mean, it's, I mean, it would make great television, but unfortunately, it was really true. It was really quite terrible. Right, and you you bring up a... And I say that I weighed... No, no, keep going, keep going. Go ahead. I was just going to say that like, I say that I weighed 350 pounds, but let me, let me just be clear. Let me be honest. Um, I'm not sure how much I weighed. And the reason I'm not sure is because I hit, in 2012, I got on the scale... And I weighed 342 pounds, and I had a scale at home, 342 pounds, digital scale. And that sent me, like, when you see that you weigh 342 pounds, it was, talk about crazy. It it was so, it was terrible. I I hated myself. So I joined Weight Watchers, and then I lost, like, 80 pounds or 60 pounds. I was down to, like, 280, and I'm in a restaurant. I'm at a bar with some coworkers, we had had a meeting all day and then we're at a bar and we're waiting for our dinner table. And at the time, Weight Watchers had these sliding scales. They had a little paper that you could count how many points a meal is based on its fat and protein and, and carb content. And so he takes it out of my pocket and he, you know, starts to shame me, you know, like, what do you need this for? It's a Weight Watchers thing. And he's like, you don't need that anymore. You're skinny. And I remember going from the bar to the table and that just in my head like you know I felt skinny I mean I have gone down a few sizes in my clothes I was feeling better I had more energy I mean I really was skinny and so I never took out the Weight Watchers tracker I ordered a cheeseburger and fries now mind you I weighed 280 pounds and I treated myself like I was skinny so then fast forward a year a little over a year it's the week after April 25th, because we get home from the Bahamas, and I get on the scale, 
and it's 342 pounds again. I couldn't believe that I had put all the weight right back on. So I'm telling that story. I'm a professional speaker, a motivational speaker. So I'm telling this story about the day I woke up fat, and I go through this whole thing, and somebody in the audience raises their hand, and they say, I'm sorry to interrupt, but 342 is a really – I mean, that's a specific number to hit twice. What does your scale go up to? I was like, you son of a <laughs> – so I get home, and I pull out the scale. After 342, it says E, but it, like I had to add a lot of weight for it to get to E. So my scale didn't go – past 342 so i have no idea how much I made. That, is, that is crazy because that i would have never guessed that anything would stop at such a weird number so i can imagine while me neither you know, why you thought that that was the actual weight that you had gained and just going back to what you had first said talking about your wife at the time um that you know, that you'd kind of, at first you kind of relied on her in a way to say like, all right, if things get bad, she'll say something. Like, I'll have this external notification system in a way. Almost like you had like this covert contract with her that she didn't know about. Like, hey, you know, when things get bad, you got to let me know. And it's so interesting because now knowing you, you're like the exact opposite from an accountability standpoint. Yeah, I had a friend tell me the other day, I was talking about how I struggled to get up in the morning one day. I was like, I had got up, I generally get up at 4 a.m. and I try to get my run in and I, I have a pretty regimented schedule. And I was telling her that I woke up and then I was just kind of like, for like five minutes, I was struggling between, because it was like a Sunday morning. Like, you know, maybe I could use another hour of sleep. And then I was like, no, you're not going to go back. You're, you're up. You're not going. And she's like, I love that you are your own boss. And I thought, you know, that's, that's the crux of it. I used to really gauge how I lived and what I did and what I ate and who I hung out with and how much I drank by other people's reactions. And now I don't rely on anybody. Everybody's standards and expectations of me are way lower than Tolly. Like they're, if, you know, like my mom, God bless her, she never, ever, ever told me I was getting too heavy. But she'll say to me now, oh, my gosh, you're so thin now. I don't like you being this thin. Like she has a big problem with me being skinny. But when I was heavy, it never, like I can't use my mother as a gauge. She's not a good gauge. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. And I think that that's something that a lot of people can struggle with. and They, they look for external notifications or motivations or you know people to, to that they can rely on in that sense especially if they're close to you right because there's this emotional connection attached to that sort of feedback right so you You're have to get to the right. point where like yeah. it's hard for someone to say something difficult to someone they love right i mean that yep. that's, that's that's few and far between and even if someone does say that it's hard it can be hard to accept that from someone you love Right. It's one thing if like a stranger says, you know, comes up to me and says, hey, ugly, you know, get out of the way. I'm like, yeah, you know, you know, whatever. Like, you know, screw that guy. I don't know him. But it's different if like someone who I love and respect says it to me. It's like, you know, what the heck? You know, what, what is this? Like, if I'm, I would immediately skip to like betrayal. Right. I would go I would move past the message to like some sort of like deeper meaning. And so that that can be tough. That's for sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And one of my rules, as you know, in the book, I came up with, I actually wrote 101 rules. And then the editors got a hold of the book and they said, 
they, it's 51 too many. So they said, just pick your favorite 50, the 50 that makes the most sense. So one of the rules in my, in my 50 rules on how to win at the game of dieting is to get new friends. You really, and I get the, I get so much pushback on this. Everyone just thinks I'm absolutely crazy about this, but to your point, it's so hard to, when we judge how others treat us, that's how, you know, and forever my friends were, they were more than tolerable about my drinking and my overeating. They encouraged it. They, they overate and overdrank too. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, especially if it's something where you're trying to change a vice or change a habit. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. And I can't wait to get into these 50s. We're going to play a little game um, related to the book in terms of the 50, the 50 rules. But before we get there, speaking of games, you have that right in the subtitle, How to Win at the Game of Dieting, which I thought was interesting. Why, did you, why do you view that dieting um, and just the whole dieting situation as a game? Why do you title it that way? Because it is truly a game. It is a, it is a game that we play. I, let me own everything. I want to say that it is a game that I've been playing forever. I would play this wonderful game where I would choose some random diet. Let's say the F-Factor diet, which is actually a really great diet plan. It's all based on fiber. So the more fiber you add to your diet, the less you have to do as far as exercise. So... You know, most diets are all about eat less, move more, right? And the F-factor diet, they, it's kind of a little bit like the F-factor diets for those who, don't, who can't move that much or don't have the time to spend hours in a gym or go road running forever. So you just add more. The more fiber you add, the more weight you'll lose. So let's say that. I would do the F-factor diet for, you know, a month, two months, three months, and then I was doing really good, and so I'll treat myself with McDonald's, with ice cream, with donuts, with Taco Bell. You know, like it's always the it's always this insane game. I'm like, all right, listen, if you do really well for six days, I'll give you Sunday, and on Sunday you can eat whatever you want. Of course, it negates all the hard work I did for the six days, but. That's the game I was constantly playing. It's this yo-yo game. And I don't know any heavy people that want to be heavy. I, I just simply don't. I, I don't know anybody who's fat and happy. I know people who will claim it. I used to say, and this is so stupid, but I used to say when people would give me that look about like, I'd be mad because they didn't, have a, they didn't offer the T-shirt in the 4X. I'm like, how do you not have this in the 4X? Like, everybody's a 4X, and they're like, no, nobody's that size. I'm like, listen, this is the man size. You know, that's what I used to call myself. This is the man size, as if a man couldn't wear a medium. Only, only a 4X and above is actually a man size. So stupid. But the, the, the point about the game and winning at the game of dieting is I train managers for a living. So my whole – I own a management training company, and where I, I literally – do break uh, uh, workloading. I do job routines. I teach managers how to manage more effectively. And that's the one area where I was lacking in my life was managing my own diet effectively, my own life effectively, my workout effectively. I didn't manage any part of my personal life 
like I did my professional life and certainly not like I was expecting others to manage their personal or their professional life. It wasn't until I was watching a, um, one of those, you know, six minute abs or seven minute, whatever the, some insane TV commercial on about some workout routine. And there's this guy and this girl and they're working out like mad and they're got smiles on their faces and they're, showing off their perfect bodies and this perfect routine that's going to get you that perfect body. And that's when it, you know, kind of dawned on me. I'm sitting there, I'm like, that's their job. I mean, their job is to have six-pack abs. What if it was my job to have six-pack abs? What if it was my job to lose the weight? What, would it, what kind of a job routine would it look, what would it look like? What would, what would my morning look like? What time would I start? What would I eat? What time would I get up? What, what would I do for a workout? How long? How would I measure it? How to make sure it's working. You know, like all the things you do in management, I did for my personal self. For my, I was like, all right, I am going, I am not going to be this person anymore. I hate being this person. I hate being the fat friend, the fat brother, the fat father. I hated it. My, my kid, I have a picture of me and my son in his high school graduation. And I'm as proud as could be. And he's very happy, but you can see on his face that he does not want to sit with the picture with me because I'm twice his size. And my dad was twice my size when I was a kid. And I remember how embarrassed I was about the size of my dad. So now I'm looking at an old picture of me and my kid, and I'm like, ah, oh, I did it to him. Yeah, that's interesting how you brought up the mindset piece about how you shifted it from you know, viewing just your health and everything that goes along with it as just some part of your life. Now you approach, approach work in a very different way. You know, I was, I was thinking, I was going to ask you that question as you were going through that, because it, it, it is a very different mindset to take. And along the same lines, how important to you is habit formation? Well, habit so I, I do, I, I, I did have a, quite a problem with alcohol. I did have, I did have quite a struggle giving, giving up alcohol. I've been wanting to quit drinking for years um, before I finally did quit drinking. So that's it's kind of an interesting thing. But so I know people who say that I've given up one addiction for another. Like I now, instead of a, I'm addicted, instead of being addicted to alcohol, now I'm addicted to running. I'm a, become a pretty good long distance runner and there's no comparison because I don't have a compulsion to run I don't have a oh my god if I don't you know I I just it's eating in the back of my head the run 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 it, that doesn't happen with alcohol that happened with running it makes me feel good it put it keeps me in the condition I want to be and it helps me look the way I want to look and feel the way I want to feel and I Quite honestly, I want to be a runner. I want people to know and think that I'm a runner. I want people to have no question about it. That's my sport. I love having a sport. I didn't even have a sport growing up as a kid. I wrote poetry as a kid. I was a kid who always got beat up by other people. <laughs> so I love having a sport. But I, for habits, I don't know, I kind of went off on a little tangent there. I guess I, I don't know how to explain habit. I don't have a habit. I have a routine. Interesting. It's interesting that you that you find there's a difference there um, because, you know, because I again, from afar, I see your ability to wake up early. I see your ability to set out what you're going to do the next day, the night before on your whiteboard and, you know, how you're going to yeah. you do. You set things out in a, in a 
you know, you set out your routine, but along with your routine, I guess there's ways that you can create habits. I guess on some level, it's just kind of like we're just playing word games here. But um, and it, I know, but I, I kind of, I apologize. I kind of think that a habit is a compulsion, and I live with intention. Oh, okay, interesting. So I put. So everything that I do, I intend to do. I am the person I am today because I want to be this person. I want to, I want to run this morning. I, I wanted to run seven miles this morning. I wanted to get up at 4 a.m. this morning. I wanted to be on the road heading to work by 8 a.m. this morning. I, need, you know, I want to pack this afternoon because I'm traveling for the, for the rest of the week. So I, as you know, I write that down on my whiteboard. I want to go to bed by 10 so that I can get up at 4. That's all living with intention. So I, I know this seems like we're splitting hairs, but it's just because I think habit is more of a compulsion and, and I live with intention. There you go. Well, I know. I like it. Do my best. To no, I appreciate you clarifying yeah. that because that's something that I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about and how you describe it. It makes a lot of sense. So I appreciate you illuminating that point for me. And what you said before, I thought was interesting, too. And it was one of those things where, you know, with alcohol or with eating, it almost like it almost sounds as if it took willpower not to do it. Right. So it's like, all right, it really I did. always want to do this unless my willpower stepped in and said no. Whereas with exercise, uh-huh. willpower kind of works in the reverse sometimes. It's like, okay, I need the willpower to do the action. So like with the eating and the yeah. drinking, the action was going to happen unless willpower stepped in. Whereas with the exercising, I'm not going to do it unless I use my willpower. So it's almost a, kind of a, diff- right. a different thing where it's not exactly, um, you know, as your friend said, oh, you just um, – was it you just substituted an addiction? It's like no, you had a complete. You basically had a reciprocal view of those actions when it came to willpower. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good way of putting it. I, I, I was just saying yesterday or the day. I love who I am. I am so happy. I'm so proud of myself. I, five years ago, I was trying to talk myself into jumping off the balcony in the Bahamas. I really, really wanted to commit suicide. I really was depressed. I was really sick and tired of all of my shenanigans. I was tired of my excuses. I was tired of the way I looked, the way I felt. I was tired of the way people looked at me. I I was tired of how my job and what I was doing for a living, I didn't like who I was hanging out with. I didn't like where I lived. I didn't like the car I drove. I mean, I hated everything there wasn't anything i liked there wasn't anything i liked and then i you know i was kind of like all right listen you're either going to jump off this balcony and stop the misery or you're going to change everything you you know you're not a you're not a duck you don't have to fly south for the winter you can change you don't like where you are change that's a big thing i learned from rush limbaugh of all people He's a, I talk about Rush Limbaugh in my book. He truly saved my life. He was the first person in my, I had ever heard, and I was probably 21, 22 years old. He was the first person I'd ever heard, and I only heard him on a radio station, say that it was all up to me, you know, that if you don't want to be where you are, if you don't want to be doing what you're doing, being with the person you're with, living in the town you live in, making the money that you make, you have control over all of that. You can change it. You can do any – he was the – I've never heard that. Nobody ever told me that when I was growing up. Never, never. We got what we got, and we 
you know, you liked it or you didn't like it, but you didn't certainly get any more. You didn't have any control. Interesting. So it's kind of the like the idea of having the growth mindset instead of the fixed mindset. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Let's, yeah. All right. I, I'm excited to dive into the book. So what we're going to do here is we're going to play a game. I have the book in front of me. You're going to pick a page between either 46 and 106. I'm going to flip to it. We're going to talk about one of the 50 rules. But before we do that, there's one rule that I wanted to touch on because this is the Rambling Runner podcast. You're a runner, and there's one in here that specifically relates to running, and it's one that I um, can absolutely relate to um, as early as this morning, is that you can't outrun a bad diet. And I love it, but I, I want you. To, I want you. To, I want you to expand on that, uh, not only for the listeners' benefit, but but for me too. You know, this is the only one where you know when you when you got to go and meet your creator and you have some questions about why you put life this way. I think you should be able to outrun or outwork out your bad diet. But um, unfortunately, a Snickers bar is about eight hundred calories, and <laughs> you can't you can't just work out eight hundred calories four or five times a day having the, the calories. So that's just it. I, I run a lot. I run a marathon a month. Uh, this is my, I'm running a marathon in two weeks in Massachusetts and it'll be my 15th marathon in a row. So 15 marathons in 15 months. It'll be my 43rd full marathon. So I run, I run probably right now. I'm probably running about 45 miles a week. And you would think that running that much, I ran seven miles this morning. After a seven mile run, you'd think that you could have anything you want. You should be able to eat. People say that to me. Oh, you must be able to eat whatever you want. It's not true. I cannot tell you how many times I gain weight at the end of a week, even though I ran 40, 40 miles this week. I get on the scale on a Saturday morning and I've gained weight because you can't outrun your diet. Food makes up 80% of your weight. What you eat matters more than how much you move. 80% more. It's so true. And I think there's, and it is. it's true. I think there's two components too to it that have affected me that I did not foresee happening before I became an active distance runner. And I don't know if the same thing happened to you, but I want to I want to basically say these two things and see how you relate to them as well, is that, first of all, you know, the more you run, the hungrier you get. So the idea of like, hey, I'm just going to run a lot and then I'll be able to burn off all this food because I'll run more, but I'll eat the same. Well, that's not going to be the case because you're just going to the more you run anyone who's done marathon training knows that, hey, man, you run marathons, you're hungry every two hours. You know, you are dying for food. You know, you're not on the the 1,500, 1,800-calorie diet. Your body needs energy, and that's just going to be a huge issue. So you you might go into the uh, this idea of, like, hey, if I run more, I'll be fine because I'm currently, say, taking down 2,400 calories, but I'll be burning a different amount. And then see see how the math works? Everything's going to be fine. Yeah. once you start living it, you're like, no, man, I'm hungry all the time now. And the worst part about being hungry all the time for me is how I was literally raised mismanaging my diet. Like I I talk about the microwave in my book. I don't use a microwave anymore because a microwave 
took away all my patience with food as a kid. You didn't have to wait for anything. And so not only does running make me hungry, but it makes me make poor decisions because I'm not hungry, to, you know, in 10 minutes. I'm hungry right now. That's a good point. And I think and so, yeah, and the other thing, so those, and the thing I was going to mention too, Ralph, is that in addition to that, you also have a situation where if you eat like crap, you can't put in the miles that you want to put in. Right. So it's like this vicious cycle. Yep. Say, hey, I'm going to run all, all, all these miles and then I can eat whatever I want. But if you eat whatever you want, you're not going to run those miles because you're going to feel like crap the next day. Yeah, absolutely. One of the biggest aha moments, and I don't know that I've been able to do it justice when I wrote about it in the book, but one of the rules is it doesn't matter what you ate when you're done eating it. That is so huge to me, and it's relevant to this because my, my whole point about the rule is I could have a pizza, a slice of pizza, and in 10 minutes, no longer taste a slice of pizza. Or I could have chickpea salad, you know, with chickpeas and bell peppers and onions, and in 10 minutes, not taste. But in 10 minutes, I'm going to be full on both of those. I love that. So it doesn't matter what you eat when you're done eating it. So if that's true, then why not just eat healthy? That's a great point. Because That's a great point. Food, this is coming from a the, food expert. You've eaten all the food. I'm you telling you. I'm, I'm telling you. Chickpeas are going to fill you just as much as a piece of pizza. And in 10 minutes, you're not going to taste either one of them, except you're not going to gain weight from the chickpeas like you would the pizza. I want that on a poster above my fridge. I love that. All right. All right. Yeah. So It doesn't matter what you eat when you're done eating. That's great. Or what you ate when you're done eating. All right, let's do it. All right, so pick a number, Ralph, between 46 and 106. I'm going to flip to that page. We're going to talk about that rule. All right, let's say 50, 51. 51. All right, here we go. We're starting off early. Okay, 51. Choose a plan. <laughs> I like this. And, I, you know, when I, I just recorded the audio book, which will be out February 20th. So if you don't want to read it and just rather hear me talk about it, and in the audiobook, it's fun doing the audiobook because I get to ad lib a little bit. And by a little bit, I mean a lot. And this is one of those where I don't know if, it attri- if, it's, if it's really a rule for women as much as it is for men, in that you have to pick a diet plan. And for me, it's Weight Watchers. But it can be Atkins, South Beach, Jenny Craig, Herbalife, the F Factor diet, the Paleo. It doesn't matter. Whatever works. For you, just pick that one diet plan and then learn everything you can. Like, you need to know that diet plan frontward and backward. You need to be able to do it in your sleep because you don't want to have it to be a difficult learning curve. You don't want to both be craving all the food that you're trying to stay away from and try to get familiar with a new app on your phone with this new diet you're trying to figure out. So, you've got to pick a plan and then learn everything about it. But the, way, the reason I say is maybe a more of a male thing than a female thing, I, the reason I know so much about so many diets is because I never stuck to a single diet. I would be doing, I'd be doing Atkins, and then I heard about the F-Factor diet. I'm like, oh, let me read about that. I'd get halfway through the F-Factor diet. I'm like, I'm going to try this. And I'd get two months into the F-Factor diet, and somebody goes, you know, there's a new diet called the Paleo diet. I'm like, really? What's that all about? And, you know, poof, now I'm doing the Paleo. I never stuck with anything. I was constantly, and I don't know if that's like a, 
you know, I talked to some women and they're like, no, we just did one thing. I'm like, all right, well, I tried every one of them because I, <laughs> every time I hear something shiny and new, I'm like, oh, let me try that one. Oh, this one. You bring up a good a point about maximizing, basically maximizing each plan. Because, because once you get granular in it and you figure out, you know, all the different ways that you can, especially for someone who travels, right? I mean, so like, say you pick one of these diets, but then you travel a lot. It can be hard to accommodate that diet when you're on the road and you're not just, you know, planning your grocery list and you have everything in your house and you've removed all the negative items and all the corresponding ideas. Um, so if you're, li- if you're living on the road and you travel a lot for your work, this is a huge thing because then you can really dial it in like, okay, I have, you know, the paleo diet, you know, or let's do a different one, right? So say like, you know, if you go to Taco Bell, this is just a wild example, like I can order this item, this one item at Taco Bell. And if I do that, I'm going to be good. Whereas if like you keep vacillating back and forth between diets, you might be lost once you hit the road. You're absolutely right. Am I on a low carb diet or I, or am I on a no carb diet? That's a big difference, a low carb or a no carb. Oh, for sure. That's the difference between Atkins and South Beach. South Beach is low carb. Atkins is no carb. <laughs> yeah, good point. All right, let's pick another number. All right, let's say 75. 75. Okay, here we go. Stalk thin people. All right, now this is dangerous. This is, <laughs> this is dangerous. You're going to have to explain this one, Ralph. We're talking about a felony <laughs> charge here. I love I love the idea that these rules are hilarious and very practical. I simply mean that I always wanted to be a thin person, and I would see thin people. I mean, I worked with them. They they shopped in the same stores that I did. They they were parents. Was, you know, my kids hung out with their kids, and they're all around me. And I, you know what? I almost instead of not paying attention to them, I almost snubbed them. Like I wouldn't even consider paying attention to what they eat. What do they know? But they had the body that I wanted to have. And so all I'm saying is you should pay attention to what other people are living on. Because at 350 pounds, I thought there's no way I can live off of only three meals a day. And those three meals are just a small piece of chicken with a – do you ever seen a cup of rice? It's the smallest amount of food in the entire universe. Like that cannot be enough to sustain yourself on. Yet I watched this guy. He eats a – piece of chicken and one cup of rice i saw a i saw a woman eat one half of one half of an english muffin and she was done eating like that was enough for her like that's why i say you got to stalk thin people so you can start acting like a thin person you want to be thin start eating like a thin person that's a good point and i think it ties into this is a concept i've touched on a lot with some of these podcasts um is that there's the comparison trap that social media can provide where all of a sudden it becomes a poisonous thing where you're comparing yourself to people who aren't being realistic about their own lives. And then you're holding yourself up to this, this false idol in a way. But I think the, the reverse is true is that, you know, these comparison games can be very useful if you pick the right people and you approach it in the right way, because you can then learn from people that can motivate you. You can, you know, relate to some struggles that they may have. And I think that this chapter really, um, dives into that, that positive aspect of relating to other people um, because you, it's about learning from them and understanding how if you alter a couple of things that maybe you can achieve some of the things that they've achieved. 
You know, let me take it one step further. I didn't talk about it in the book, but I, well, I, I did mention that I was a pretty big drinker. We used to have, like, we have a pool and a hot tub at our house, and so every weekend in the summer we'd have a lot of friends over in barbecues, and, you know, beer would be flowing every direction. One of my best friends would come over every weekend with his wife, and he quit drinking like 20 years before. And she would always have like a couple of wine coolers. But he never drank. And he would be there all day with us, around a bunch of people drinking. He'd be right in the middle of it. He'd be hooting and hollering with us. He'd be playing cards with us. He'd be cracking jokes, having conversation, and the whole time drinking a Pepsi. And I got to tell you, when you're struggling with alcohol and you want to quit alcohol and you wanna, you're, you're trying to, like, how am I going to live? What's, it, what's life going to be like without alcohol? I used to watch my friend Paul all the time and just think, he completely is fine. He's funny. You don't need to be have alcohol to be funny. He's not thirsty, obviously. He's getting plenty of drink with the Pepsi. He's, he's fun. He's engaging. He's not hiding in his house. He doesn't care that his wife drinks. It doesn't bother him. Like, he was such a good role model for me when it comes to quitting drinking. And I think that that's kind of where I'm going with stocking thin people. It's the same thing. There are pretty good role models out there with food. There's a, I saw somebody open a small bag of potato chips, and then when they were done with the bag of potato chips, they sealed it up for later. And the idea that you don't finish a bag of potato chips is foreign to me. He's like, no, I had enough. What do you mean you had enough? You didn't eat the whole bag. It's a small – I don't even understand. <laughs> but that's a thin person mentality, right? I love that. That's a, that's a great point. All right. What's, what's the next number? Uh, let's say 100. 100. I love this, by the way. I really enjoy your book. I was going to just say that. And Thank I, and, you so and much. I really here, appreciate it. I will it. say, uh, we'll, we'll, I'm going to release this podcast after your audio book is released on the 20th. So anyone who's listening to this, yeah. if you're interested, you can go pick up that audio book. Um, and I will say, I love the back photo. You're not gonna, you might not see that if you get the audio book, but it's you in a bathtub with literally a whole pile of food, of fast food, donuts, and the like all over you. You're holding an apple like, like you're, um, you know, um, you know like, like the Temple of Doom. It's like over your head. Um, it's a great picture. I do wonder what happened to it, all of that it, food once you got out of that bathtub, if that was consumed by anybody. It's, it, yeah, so let me say this. It, the concept is, you know, that's really what it's like to be dieting in today's era. There's, you're surrounded by fast food, grab-and-go, junk food, burgers, fries, Chinese food, donuts, cakes, and you're trying to eat a damn apple. I mean, it's, it's daunting, and that's what the picture represents. And you can go to, you can go to um, Twitter or Instagram. It's Ralph Peterson 08 on both of those, and you can see the picture. The picture's on both okay. of those. Great. All right. It's a really great, fantastic picture. So we got we got we got yeah. two we got two and, two rules on this page. I'm going to choose the second one. Number forty six. Stuff your weight in a sack. Now this one I learned from watching the show The Biggest Loser. The Biggest Loser. For those who don't know, it's a was a reality show. I don't think it's still on anymore. But it was a reality show about people who needed to lose extreme weight. So people who would be in the four five hundred pound range. And they would be meeting with, like, Jillian Michaels was one of the trainers. She's, like, a pretty famous. She wrote a, a great book about weight loss on helping them over. So there'd be, first, there'd be an awful lot of cardio exercise and weightlifting. But then there'd be food and nutrition and learning how to cook and prepare. Like, it would 
try to teach you how to become this new, different, skinnier person while helping you lose weight. Well, for any of us who are playing the scale game and, you know, every week you're on the scale and you get into those slumps where you're not losing any weight for week after week, you're doing everything you can. Sure, you slip off here or there, but to not see any result in the scale is so demoralizing that for years and years, I would just take one of those big effort pills and just go to McDonald's. And if I wasn't losing weight, I'm like, well, doing something right apparently isn't going to work anyway. So I'm just going to go right back to eating like an idiot. And they were having that kind of a scene on The Biggest Loser. And so they said they had them all take however much weight that they had lost and put it in a bag. And then they made it into a challenge where they had to carry the weight that they had lost across the football field. And it was a race. It was this whole thing. At the time, I had lost 30 pounds. And I was struggling with trying to lose my 31st pound. And I went downstairs and I had some weights and I put 30 pounds in a backpack. And I, I got to tell you, like, mouth hit the floor, could not believe how heavy 30 pounds was. If you're struggling with staying motivated and you've had some success, whether it's 5 pounds, 10 pounds, or 30 pounds, I, you find something that weighs that much weight and put it in a backpack, put it in a bag, and every time you're wondering whether or not you should have the McDonald's or order in the takeout or pick up that bag, throw that bag on, Remember what it felt like to carry that extra weight. 30 pounds is a ton of weight, ton of weight. Stuff your weight in a sack. That's great. It's, it's great for two reasons, I think, is that it's motivating on one side, where you can look at it and be like, wow, man, here I am. I'm being pessimistic because I'm not reaching this goal by a certain timeline that I've set forward. But look at what I've done. This is really is incredible. And on the other side, it's scary. Because you're like, wow, I don't want to feel like this. I don't want to carry around that weight again. I need to shape up here. Absolutely. All right. These are so we, those are some those are some of the fifty the fifty rules. I think they're all great. The reason we did that game was because I couldn't choose which ones I wanted to talk about. So I just I delegated the responsibility to you. So that was I appreciate you doing that. Um, <laughs> I do want to ask you one last question before we get going. Um, you know, we'll dive into you know where where people can find you and things like that at the end. But before that, for people who weighed what you weighed, so people who are in the mid 300s yeah. and things like that, like just getting out and exercising on your feet can be a catch 22, right? I mean, you have that situation where like, Hey, I want to be more active, but if I'm more active, I might get hurt because I'm carrying a lot of weight. I could affect my legs. And if I get hurt, then I can't be more active. So for you, when you were at that weight, what was the key for you in terms of starting to set up an exercise routine that was something that you could be consistent about, not only from a motivation perspective, but from a health perspective? So let me, let me refer to another one of my rules, which is to quit the gym. I belonged to a gym for like 20 years. And all the time that I spent in the gym over those 20 years – could not have accumulated a year. Like, belonging to a gym was the worst thing for me because, to your point, I wouldn't go there often. But then when I did go, I'd feel guilty, and I'd be like, all right, I'm going to really work out this time. And I would overdo it. And I'd end up hurting myself. And then, so I overdid it. I end up hurting myself. And now I'm 
injured. I can't go back to the gym. Now I look at the gym as a place where I'm getting hurt and injured. And the second thing is at 350 pounds, quite honestly, there wasn't a lot I could do. I wasn't capable of doing a lot. I finally said, you know, I'm going to start going for a walk. I'm going to quit the gym and I'm not going to go. I'm not going to drive anywhere to go for a walk. I'm just going to walk out my front door. I'm going to take a left. I'm going to take a right. I'm a big fan of audiobooks and podcasts. And so I would find a podcast I liked or find an audiobook I liked and I would start walking. And my trick with, it's my trick for with running even today, is I always go in one direction and then I go home. So if I had 30 minutes to walk, I'd walk for 15 minutes away from my house, however far that got me, and then I'd go home. And then if I had an hour to walk, I'd walk 30 minutes away, and then I'd turn around and go home. I do that same thing now for running. If I, got a, I had to run seven miles this morning, I ran three and a half miles away, and then I just went home, right? So you run three and a half out, you've got to run three and a half back. So I say the first thing you've got to do is start very small, and I, I say start walking. I'm, I'm not a fan of gyms. I'm not a fan of – for me, it didn't work. It, it, I was always the fattest guy in the gym, so I was always self-conscious about that. You know, when I walk and I get up early and go for a walk in my neighborhood, nobody else is up, so nobody's seeing my fat butt walking around sweating, so it was no big deal to me. But, you know, when you're out during the day or in the gym and you're the heaviest person in the gym, it can be eh, – it's challenging. The other thing I want to say – about if you're in the struggle right now, if you're right now you're way overweight and everything you've tried hasn't been working yet and you're getting discouraged and you're not really sure what your next move could be, I, I got to say this. For me, on that day, April 25th, 2013, I decided I wanted to be a fit person. Right now, I weigh, I think, 210 pounds right this second. I weighed in on Saturday at 210 pounds which is heavy for me. I'd rather be around 180, to be quite honest, 185 for running purposes. But I'm, I'm still trying to lose weight, so I still struggle with weight. But even if I weighed 400 pounds, I would not mind weighing 400 pounds right now if I looked and felt the way I look and feel right now. You could say, I mean, if I got on a scale right now and it said I weighed a million pounds, I wouldn't care as long as I look and feel. I'm wearing a size 34 pants. I have a size medium shirt on. I have a 15-inch neck. When I was at my heaviest, I had a 48-inch waist and a 22-inch neck. So weight is very important to me. I, I get on the scale every Saturday morning. I exhale when I get on it. I'm, I'm still obsessive about it. I still watch all my points because I, I do Weight Watchers. I still track everything. But honestly, my decision was, and I hope that, people who are out there can make this decision for themselves for even if you have those low points, be, just commit to being a fit person, commit to being the type of person who does work out, like does go for a walk or does go for a run or does eat alone. If you have friends who are not good influences on you, the type of person who does not go into a fast food place. If you can't be trusted around fast food, I certainly can't be, I can't be trusted around donuts. Like, donuts kick my butt. It's the dumbest thing ever. But So I just don't – I'm not good around donuts. So donuts and I don't get along, so I don't go around donuts. Be the type of person who is just committed to being fit, to feeling good. Everything else will come. It will come slowly, but it will come. I guarantee it. And 
the other thing I want to say is that it's hard. And I, I can't, a lot of people go like, oh, well, it comes easy for you. You must have had the great willpower. None of it came easy for me. Today is not easy for me. It's not. It does get easier, but it's still hard work. The only difference is I know that I am worth the hard work. I'm worth the effort, and you are worth the effort. You know, Matt, when we first started talking, you were talking about when you're on the road, it must become difficult to follow a diet when you're on the road. And the answer is absolutely. It's difficult to be home on a diet and being bored and watching television on a diet. It's, have, it's hard to be at my neighbor's house on a diet. It's hard to be at a restaurant on a diet. It's hard to be at my mom's house on a diet. So true. But it is worth the work. It's so I can't – I'm telling you, I am – the happiest I've ever been. I'm going to turn 47 in April. I'm the fittest I've ever been in my life. I feel amazing. And it's all because I started to put myself first. I started to live with intention. And I started to be committed to feeling and being a fit person. I know I'm worth it. I know you're worth it. Do the work. One thing that, that's all. And one thing that's loud and clear, that comes off loud and clear in this book and during this conversation is the amount of self-awareness that you have now. And I don't know if you had it, you know, your whole life or whatever, you know, we're just getting to know each other now, but the amount of self-awareness that's in these pages. And even when you're talking now, because you're qualifying a lot of your statements by saying this didn't work for me, or that does work for me, as opposed to saying this works or this doesn't work, you know, you're putting it in a very personalized setting. So for you, um, again, I said, I just said this before, but this is, this is really the last question. So for you, is that <laughs> something that you purposefully dove into about being more self-aware or has that just been a slow evolution, uh, from a characteristic standpoint? Well, two, two things. Number one, um, I, I was, when I was 350 pounds and an alcoholic, I, I mean, I talk about waking up fat, like. I like I didn't know I was fat. Like I I truly was really great at avoiding mirrors and and snarky looks and the way that I I mean I never I I buried my head in the sand forever. I was totally the guy who when I looked at the scale and it said three hundred and forty two pounds, I was amazed. Like I said to my friends, I weigh three hundred and forty two pounds, they're like, Oh, that sucks. Like it it like they're like, Yeah, no kidding. But for me, I was like, what do you mean, no kidding? You knew? Like, how, how am I the last person to know that I weighed this much, you know? And the second thing I say is that when I wrote the book, I was very intentional in the book as I am in my life to be, do my very best to articulate how things affected me and what worked and what didn't work for me, because I don't want to come across as preachy. I didn't write a diet book. I didn't write a, hey, follow this diet and you're going to, and you're going to lose weight. I, it's not the Ralph Peterson diet. I, it's not what I wanted to write. I wanted to say, I mean, you saw my video, right? Like I, I put a video up. Yeah. I, for, forever, I have friends who are just super proud of me. And so I would meet somebody for the first time. And I just want to be, hey, I'm Ralph. It's very nice to meet you. And they would go, oh, my God, you should have seen him three years ago. He was so huge. And I'd be like, what, what are you, you – know, why, why did you tell them that? I, they didn't need to know that I used to be so heavy or that I used to be an alcoholic. But my friends weren't being jerks. They were just proud of me. 
And it took me a long time to understand the value that I can bring to others by sharing that with them. And ever since I had that transformation that morning when I finally said, fine, okay, I'm Ralph Peterson, and I used to weigh 350 pounds. I used to be a hot mess. I used to not, I used to be, try to be the life of the, everybody's party. I used to be in everybody's conversation. I used to drink more than I was supposed to. I used to eat like food was going to disappear any minute. I used to smoke cigarettes. I, I dropped out of high school at the age of 16. I mean, I've done everything wrong, but that's not the, it's not a sad story. It's a good story because I figured that out and I've turned it around and I'm proof that if I can turn it around, anybody, and I'm telling you, anybody can turn it around. I didn't, nothing comes easy for me. Nothing comes, I'm not naturally gifted at anything, at anything. I have to work hard at everything. It, so my intention was to be non-preachy. My intention is to be self-aware. I want to know how I'm coming across. I want to be the best person. I want people to go, do you know, Ralph, he is amazing. I heard somebody say something about Tom Brady, the quarterback for the New England Patriots. I wrote it on my whiteboard. They said, nobody takes care of their body like Tom Brady takes care of his. I wrote that down. I want people to say that about Ralph Peterson. I want people to go, nobody takes care of their body like Ralph Peterson takes care of his body. What a, what a statement. What an amazing statement. That's Ugh. true. That's true. Well, Ralph. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. It is so appreciated. Uh, where can people find more, find out more about you and uh, get their hands on this book? So, absolutely. So I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Ralph Peterson 08 is the at handle on Twitter and Instagram. It's Ralph Richard Peterson 08 on Facebook and Amazon. So Amazon on the 20th, the audio book will be available on iTunes, audible.com, and Amazon. And please, 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 when you get the book and when you love it, and I know you're going to love it. No, <laughs> if, you, if you do love it, please leave me a review, a five-star review, of course. The more reviews that we get, the more people look at it, and the more people look at it, the more people get to be influenced by it. And that's really the mission is to help people change their lives. So. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you for having me on. I really, really do. Thank you so much. It's a great podcast. I've been listening to it. It's oh, really fun. That's great to hear. Although I thought we were going, I thought we were going to talk about a lot more about running, but we didn't. Well, okay. You, you want to know right. why, Ralph? This th th this book is so interesting. You know what I mean? Like I'm. A, I, I'll tell you. I was thinking we were going to talk more about running too, but we just really went off and did like. A, yeah, we've been on this thing for almost an hour now, and um, it, it it really yeah. is. I think yeah. you bring a lot of value in this space, and I think it's one of those things where. You know, it's one of those situations where a lot of people can look at this and say, you know, that that describes me, you know, in some way that describes me. You know what I mean? Like you and I have very different body types. And yet I struggle with a lot of the same things that you talk about in this book. And I think that that's why, you know, just from a selfish perspective, I look at that and say, hey, man, this guy, you know, he, he he's figured out a lot of ways that he can, you know, lead himself. Um, you know, to the promised land in some respects from, from a health and weight perspective. And I think that's, that is so useful and so timely. So I think that on some level, you know, the getting this foundation almost supersedes the running. Cause once you get the foundation for some of this stuff, you know, the, the, the next step almost takes care of itself. 
right? Because you all of a sudden, all of a sudden right. you, you get the self-discipline and the health that allow you to be active. And then the willpower, the habits, and living with intention, like you said, that just translates over to the athletic side, right? That's such an easy conversion. Yeah. Because once you can get over these the hard parts that come with dieting and, and some of these, these you know, things that can be so attractive, right? Like driving past a drive-thru and not pulling in. I feel like the willpower for me to avoid a drive-thru so far exceeds my willpower to go for a run that if I can avoid the drive-thru, going for the run is easy. Yeah. So yeah. that's for sure. Well, Absolutely. good luck in your marathon in two weeks. I'm excited to have you back on the podcast later this year. We can talk about running. I can't wait to dive back into that. You run a marathon a month, and that's going to be a whole different episode because that's, you know, that's, that's a, there's a lot to talk I really look forward to having you on again. Thank you so much, Matt. I really appreciate it. Have a good My day. My pleasure. You too.